when a group of men encounter a bizarre alien being, they have no idea they're the lucky ones. Because on the other side of town, an an eight-year-old boy has his own close encounter. And then we travel to the closet. Why do they seem to be portals to another world? And, more curiously, is there a connection between having a terrible childhood and having the ability to see worlds beyond worlds? Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Chase Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day, too. I hope you guys are having tons of fun doing whatever you're doing. If it sounds like I'm talking a little bit faster this episode, it's not your imagination. I have to shut off all of my air conditioning to record this episode, and I shut off my air conditioning about two minutes ago. The temperature is already beginning to rise, but someone who always rises to the occasion, someone who always likes hanging out no matter how hot it is. Let's go ahead and give it up for one of our legacy Patreon supporters running into Dead Rabbit Command all sweaty. It's Cantillions. Woohoo! Yeah! <laughs> yeah! Come on in! You! Shut the door! Shut the door! You're letting all the cool air out. Cantillions, you're going to be... I guess I shouldn't order him around. He's been one of the longest Patreon supporters. Cantillions, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode, this sweaty, sweaty episode. You guys can't afford to support the show financially. I totally understand. I truly do. If you guys used to support the Patreon and had to cancel that, I understand that money is tight. Not everyone has money to give. But you can help the show out by spreading the word about Dead Rabbit Radio. That helps out so much. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell everyone you know. Dead Rabbit Radio is your sweatiest paranormal show. I'll, I'll, try, I'll try to limit from now on complaining about the heat. Cantillion, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the hair hang glider. Everyone grab onto his ankles as he jumps off the highest point of Dead Rabbit Command. We're going to glide all the way out to Argentina. We're in Coochie Corral, which I'm going to assume, which is straight off the bat, that's not how you pronounce it. I type these places up, I read these articles, and I type them up, and I never say the word until I'm in front of the mic. Apparently, in Argentina, there's a place called Coochie Corral. (laughs) And anyways, I mean, I've had this story ready to go for a while, I never once looked at the name of the place. Coochie Corral in Argentina, it's June 1998. And in the town of Coochie Corral, there's a group of hunters. They're headed off to this wildlife preserve. And they're driving down this forested road. They're in their Jeep. They're driving down the road and they see something in the middle of the road. But it's not just standing there. It wasn't like they just saw it standing in the middle of the road. They're driving down the middle of the road and something jumped into the middle of the road. They didn't specifically say, but I'm sure they heard the faint sound of a boing as this thing jumped into the middle of the road, and the driver's like, what? This thing jumped into the middle of the road, and they thought it was a man at first. Thought it was a man jump, which would be kind of cool, right? If you were driving down the road, and all of a sudden, you heard a boing, and then you looked, and there was a dude standing in the middle of the road. You'd be like, wow, that guy can jump. 
That guy can jump so much he makes Roger Rabbit sound effects. It'd be pretty impressive. I've never seen someone jump into the middle of the road. That's quite the distance. But it wasn't a man. They quickly learned it wasn't a man. Because when they got closer, they're still driving. I'm sure they slowed down. But as they're still driving, this thing looks at them and he has the face of either a dog. You know, it gets kind of hard to tell, right? But it's like a snout type thing. They said it either had the face of a dog or a kangaroo. Which I would assume, just, just by the boing, I would assume by the jumping ability, it's a kangaroo. This thing turned towards them and had the face that looked like a kangaroo. Didn't have the body of a kangaroo. There was no tail. But it had the arms of a kangaroo. So tiny little arms, like T-Rex arms. It was also wearing what they described as an ill-fitting green coat with very short sleeves, which would make sense because your arms are tiny. And they all said this thing looked ridiculous. And they said this kangaroo-esque person... So I, it doesn't say anything about the legs. Like, if, if I asked you to describe a kangaroo to me, I think you would start with the legs. I'd go, well, it has those really, like, has those legs that when you draw them, they look like chicken drumsticks. They got, like, the big round thighs. If you asked me to describe a kangaroo, I'd describe it from the feet up. I'd say big feet, big round legs, a pouch that have a, a big thing on their tummy. And then, you know, tiny arms. I actually forgot, <laughs> I actually forgot kangaroos had tiny arms until I read that. I was like, oh, wait, they do have tiny arms. Kangaroo, just like normal human legs, but tiny little kangaroo arms. No kangaroo tail, but a kangaroo head. And it jumped in the middle of the road, wearing this goofy-looking jacket. And it turned and it saw the jeep coming towards it. And then the... What do you think's going to happen, right? <laughs> How do you think this thing's going to get away? Let's use some logic here. This thing jumped in the middle of the road. It's quite similar to a kangaroo. When it saw the car coming, as the... Car got close, it went, a boing! Again, didn't make the sound effect, but <laughs> I have to do something, I just can't go. I could just say he jumped, but a boing! He jumps seven feet in the air, clears this tall wire fence on the side of the street. Oh, wait, no, he, do he doesn't. He jumps seven feet, it's like a seven-foot jump, and then he lands, and then he, there's a tall wire fence on one side of the road, and once again, the kangaroo man went, boy, and jumped over the fence. Now, the guys all kind of looked at each other, and they're like, well, there's no kangaroos in Argentina. I'm sure there could be one. I'm sure you could smuggle a kangaroo to Argentina. It's not super far from Australia. So that you can't ever say there's no kangaroos in a place because technically you can get a kangaroo there maybe if you were like on the edge of a volcano i think you could pretty much guess there's probably not a penguin up here but other than that if someone saw a penguin walking around louisiana you would go okay that's a penguin that's obviously a penguin it's just so dapper and it's going to the prom but you would go, there's usually not penguins up here, but that is clearly a penguin. You wouldn't say, that must be a ghost. There must be a ghost penguin. You'd go, that, that's a penguin. So you can't say that there's no kangaroos in Argentina. There's probably one. But you, he didn't look, he didn't have the legs of a kangaroo. And kangaroos don't wear clothes. I think that would be the big giveaway, right? The kangaroos 
don't wear clothes. It jumped over this tall fence. So they're thinking this ha- there, there's something unexplainable about this. <laughs> You're like, it's not just the jacket. There are no kangaroos in Argentina. And even if there was, that would be bizarre. If it's just a regular kangaroo running around a city, you want to be like, oh, it's normal. Welcome to Argentina. Welcome to Coogee Corral, guys. They also kind of pieced it together because later that night, this, this is one of the stories that's not so paranormal. You'd be like, oh, I'm so scared. Let's go back home. And the other hunters are like, yeah, man, I'm like rattled. It's not like they saw like a reptilian ripping an elk in half or Bigfoot attacked them. It was just this thing in the middle of the road. They, they still went about their business hunting. They weren't like, well, uh, the night's ruined, guys. We saw a creature wearing a green jacket. Time to pack it in. They continued to go hunting, and they said later that night, they saw this massive yellow-white light fly over the area. And they also said that all the animals seemed to be going insane that night. They are just acting super weird. Squirrels were, like, shaving themselves, and, like, birds were hanging from trees upside down. <laughs> Those might have been bats. They might have not been really good animal people, uh, biologists. Those might have been bats. But they said all the animals were acting super weird that night. And they do think there was something. What was in the middle of the road was something not of this earth. And on the same night, and I know I didn't give you a specific night, but I was digging through these UFO archives of the amazing website, thinkaboutitdocs.com. These were listed as separate entries five hours southeast of Cuchi Corral there's a place called Puerto Ester Argentina and this entry lets us know that around the same time that this story I'm about to tell you is happening several men reported seeing a large luminous white sphere maneuvering around the area so I do believe these two events are happening the same night it doesn't specifically say that but we're both getting this Large light moving around. But whether or not it took place on the exact same night or just the same month, we're about to meet an eight-year-old boy. We're going to go ahead and give this boy the name Carl. Carl is riding his bike on the way home. This is nighttime. He's riding his bike home. And all of a sudden, he's surrounded by gray aliens. Typical... Short aliens with big heads, large black slanted eyes, and you're like, what are you going to do? <laughs> if, if you were, if an adult was surrounded by several gray aliens, first off, you're going to stop riding your bike, right? I mean, immediately you're like, okay, I'm going to get off my bike because nothing good, uh, nothing good's going to happen if I'm still on my bike. You get off your bike, you're surrounded by these gray aliens, and you're really your options of, <laughs> of having any sort of hopeful, good ending to this are pretty limited. As an adult, you'd go, okay, best case scenario is they're going to start talking about how Earth is an ecological disaster, we need to give up nuclear weapons, and blah, 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 that hippie stuff. That's the best option that's going to come out of here. The worst option, you imagine, would be well, I'm going to get some, get something shoved up my butthole at some point. Probably have a couple organs surgically removed from me. Be ex- part of some sort of alien experiment. Ah, as you're screaming for help in the loneliness of an alien ship as these visitors from beyond the stars are 
pulling pieces out of me. But you go, you're saying all this out loud. The aliens are like, what? What's he talking about? Putting stuff up his butthole. They can tell you're very aroused. You're like, I'll struggle a bit. <laughs> but, you know, and they're like, no, 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 we're not going to do that. At the very least, if you did get zapped aboard an alien ship and they started experimenting on you, you may go, well, I won't remember any of it. That's the thing. Like, aliens are always doing this stuff and they erase your memory and then you have this lost time and you have this weird scar on your inner thigh. You have a couple nightmares here and there and maybe you go to a therapist and they refer you to a hypnotist and then they do this regression and you remember all these organs being removed from you. You're like, no, no screaming <laughs> or you're debating this out loud and you go so even if they did do horrible things to me aboard their mothership i probably won't remember any of it that's probably the worst case scenario and we do tend to think like that people tend to think the best case scenario worst case scenario but there's a lot of stuff in the middle and i would argue that <laughs> what is about to happen to carl leans towards the worst it's not that bad in hindsight, while it's going on, it would be quite terrifying. Carl is now off of his bicycle. He's this eight-year-old boy just trying to get home. He's surrounded by great aliens, and they beat him up. Which <laughs> Here's the thing. That's perfect. That is the perfect age group for a great alien. Not saying that great aliens should be beating up kids, but because of the height and because of the physical strength, a group of gray aliens could beat up an eight-year-old pretty well. I don't know how well a group of gray aliens, not using any sort of their technology or gray aliens have the ability to, like, some sort of sonic attack is the only way it can be described. An adult man could easily tear through three to four gray aliens if no one's using magic powers. <laughs> if they're using magic powers, they got an advantage, but... An adult man, because they're, they're so frail. They're so frail. You can grab their necks. You punch them in the eyes. I always recommend punching great aliens in the eyes because they're so big. Imagine if every time you got in a street fight, it was all eye gouging. That's their entire existence. But this eight-year-old boy, I mean, that's a... I won't, say that's an e I won't say that's an even fight for the boy, but for the great aliens it would be. They jump them. They begin beating up this kid on the side of the road until eventually he's just a crumpled mass of bruises. And then they just disappear. And the boy's like, uh, uh, he's getting, he's like, I'm going to remember this. They didn't erase my mind. Uh, and he slowly gets his bike up off the ground and he gets on it and he starts riding down the street covered in bruises nobody stops nobody's no one sees him driving in the street hey kid carl well are you doing okay i see that you're pretty beat up it looks like several people jumped you he rides his bike all the way home and he goes into his house and his parents are like where have you been he's like i didn't lose time i remember every minute of it i got jumped by a bunch of aliens This is a really weird moment in UFOlogy. Not as a, it's not something that will be enshrined in history of human-alien relations. 
But the, the first story where we have the weird entity being spotted in the woods or on the road into this wild... We, we come across a lot of stories like that. And sometimes if there's enough of them, we'll give a particular entity a name like Bigfoot. There's a big connection between Bigfoot and UFOs. But in this case, I cannot think... We've covered stories where aliens and humans have fought and killed each other. But generally, and I, I, you guys probably correct me on this because we've done, you know, over a thousand episodes at this point. Generally, it's humans shooting up alien laboratories or aliens getting the drops on humans in some sort of combat capacity. We obviously have a lot of people, we obviously have a lot of stories about humans struggling against being captured by aliens, running trying to run out of their ships, breaking free from their grasp. I cannot think of another story where the only thing that the aliens wanted to do was to beat somebody up. This had nothing to do. This is no sort of scientific experiment. It wasn't something that happened towards another goal. So we've had stories where people have fought back against gray aliens, but the gray aliens weren't there for an arm wrestling competition. They were there to grab a subject and take him aboard a ship. That was not the case here. These aliens showed up just to beat this kid up. Now, you could argue, maybe they beat him up and then they took him aboard the ship. And then he lost his memory. I didn't think about that. I didn't think about that. They're like, oh, the boss wants this boy tenderized before we start taking his organs out. It's possible. There's no mention of lost time, though. It's almost like these aliens just wanted to get in a fist fight. And are the two stories connected? Was that kangaroo guy, he jumped over that fence and he's like, bring me home. The mission's a failure. He appears aboard the ship and the other aliens. Everyone else is a gray alien, but this kangaroo dude's like, <laughs> He picked him up on some other planet. He's an alien hitchhiker. He's like, guys, guys, I tried to disguise as one of the humans. This, this is what they look like, right? He has this terrible looking jacket on the aliens. They're like, no, you numbskull. Uh, the jackets don't look that dumb. Your arms are a little short. You can't, you can't be boinging around the landscape if you're trying to blend in. And he's like, well, they almost hit me with their car. So what was I supposed to do? I had to jump away. That's the only thing I know how to do. And so the alien's like, oh, we'll get back. We'll, we'll, we'll uh, take some vengeance for you. But instead of, smartly, instead of these aliens surrounding a bunch of highly armed hunters in the middle of the woods, which is the, this, this group's hunting grounds, the humans know the woods better than the aliens, they just find a random boy. They're just, <laughs> this boy's riding his bike. There's an invisible UFO above him. They're like, he'll do. Beam down and beat him up. It's a fascinating story. It doesn't make sense as far as what we know about aliens, why they're here. Are they just cruising for a bruising? Is that the real reason? Wouldn't that be crazy if all these experiments and these years of interbreeding programs and all of that stuff didn't lead to something noble or something scientific? Nothing like that. It was just they were bored. They're just bored, and they're like, it's the same reason why people put ants in a bee. People catch ants and throw them in a jar with a bee to see who will win. There's no scientific reasoning for that. You do that because you're bored, and you live in a place with a ton of bees and a ton of ants. You go, let's do this, you know? That would be crazy, because again, we think like they're the Space Brothers, right? Maybe they just talk about hippie stuff because they're... (laughs) 
trying to trick us. That is actually a conspiracy theory. The reason why aliens keep telling us to get rid of our nuclear weapons is because that's the only way we'll have any chance of stopping them. But, you know, I think if aliens did really want to take over Earth, they would just throw micrometeorites at us. They'd blow up entire cities. We'd have no defense against them. On, on that happy and hopeful thought, Cantillians, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the Carboner Copter. We're going to say goodbye to Carl. He's okay. He doesn't have, like, permanent bruises or anything like that. He's fine. <laughs> Probably has some severe psychological damage. You now know aliens exist, and they hate you. They want to beat you up. Cantillians, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the Carboner Copter. We're going to leave behind Argentina. Fly us all the way out to a little girl's apartment. We're standing inside this apartment complex and we see kids running around. I'm it. You better run. I'm going to tag you. Oh, Billy, don't tag me. They go running off and then we see a mom walk out of an apartment. She's like, remember, honey, start the pot roast before 5 p.m. Yes, honey. We hear someone say from inside the apartment, woman walks out. We're seeing all this life in these apartments, right? People waving goodbye to their loved ones. We see a boy opening a present. Whoa, what I've always wanted. A glove. <laughs> it's just like a medical glove. It's not even like a pitcher's glove, a baseball glove. It's just like a blue glove. Now, <laughs> from an expert, they all get the next glove. That'll be able to handle stuff. The parents are like, you will, Billy, you will. Full apartment complex, full of life. But there's one apartment in particular that seems a little odd. There's no lights on. And you go, well, there must not be anyone living in that apartment. Or if there is, they must not be home. And I just kind of shake my head. I shake my head at you and I go, no, no. That's the apartment we're going into. Why do I make such a big deal about this? They shut the lights off, Jason. Everyone shuts the lights off at some point. I'm like, no, you fool. You don't understand. Look at it's 12 p.m. It's 12 p.m. The sun's high in the sky. Everyone has their lights on, but this apartment. You're like, who cares? Just an apartment with no electricity. I was like, come on. It's sadder than that. It's much, much sadder. So we sadly walk into this apartment. It's the apartment of a young girl. She didn't give her real name. We're going to call her Sasha. She said this story happened when she was between the ages of like four to seven. It was kind of this lifestyle with one particular moment at the end, but, you know, a big chunk of her childhood. Sasha was raised by a single father. And as a single dad working really hard, but also raising this kid, money's tight. So, you know, you got to make sacrifices. The dad's like, okay, I got enough money for some food. Here's some meat and some pasta. <laughs> I hope you know how to cook, Sasha. I hope you know how to cook. You know how to make spaghetti, right? I got some, like, grapes and, like, two pears. This is the food we're going to eat. And I have enough money for my gas in my car so I can drive around to work. But, uh, oh, I'm sorry, honey. We don't have enough money for electricity again this month. And Sasha goes, it's okay, Daddy. I love you. And he's like, oh, give me a hug. They're hugging each other in the darkness. Because that was the case. A lot of times, he didn't have money to pay electricity. Which, in the grand scheme of... I guess you're right. 
He bought all that meat and went bad in the fridge. He's like, ah, I probably should stop buying stuff that's so perishable. I think we should just start eating SpaghettiOs. In the grand scheme of things, I've gone months without electricity before. I had an apartment. It happened more than once where I, my bills, I couldn't pay all my bills. So you make choices, right? You obviously have to have food and pay rent. And I usually had a phone, but cell phones were so cheap. You know, it's like $50 a month. My thing, <laughs> Jason, did you have a kid? Are you telling us you had a kid? No, I was just really bad with money. I'd go, I, you know, I can't pay my electric bill this month. Um, but I will buy <laughs> all this chewing tobacco. Yum, yum, yum. So expensive. And then your the electric company is always like, okay, we'll give you another month to pay. And the, the price kept going up and up. And then they're like, dude, you owe us $300. I was like, ah, I can't afford that. They're like, if you paid $50 a month, you could. <laughs> Shut the power off. That was just me being bad with the money. This poor dad, you know, he's trying to make ends meet. You make determinations. You have to have a phone if you have a kid. You have to have a phone. I also heard, here's a little tip for you. I don't know if it's still true. It'll probably get you arrested. But your phone, like your wall phone line has enough electrical current in it to run a couple of pieces of of equipment, like a, a lamp, maybe a television. So people have these things that you can plug into your wall phone line and you can run a little electricity. It is illegal. You're not supposed to do it. And the thing, they catch people using electricity inappropriately because they see spikes in usage. So if they go, that's weird. Is this guy on the phone 30 hours a day? That's impossible. They'll find out that you're running a lamp. Anyways, dad wasn't addicted to chewing tobacco. He just didn't have enough money to pay the electricity. But Sasha go, it, okay. I love you. <laughs> Listen, she's seven years old. I'm sure she could have a normal conversation. It's okay, dad. Don't worry about it. But to be fair, she'd been living like this for a couple of years, so you just kind of got to deal with it. She goes, mostly we just use candles. We use candles to light everything up. There were candles throughout the apartment to keep the place lit, but the dad never let Sasha have candles in her room for safety purposes. Probably a bit of a klutz, most children are. And you don't want... Your <laughs> things are already not looking up. You don't want to burn... The apartment down. So a lot of times she spent her nights in her room. It was black. It was dark. Other than maybe a little bit of light coming in from the window. She always had a really dark room. Sometimes they did have electricity. You imagine like that would actually be more disturbing. If you spent six months in the dark. And then <laughs> and then every so often you had one month of electricity. And then it went back to three months of dark. And then one, you know, I, I think you might just be like, Dad, listen, quit doing that. <laughs> quit turning the lights back on, man. It's messing with me. It feels like an angel is living here. And then when it's taken away, I miss it even more. Well, anyways, he's a single dad. This is super irresponsible. I understand why you have to do it. He would leave his daughter, who ends between the ages of four and seven, he would have to leave his daughter at home. Now, he probably had a babysitter. I'm hoping he had a babysitter for work, but at like at nighttime, if he had to make like a quick stop somewhere, he'd leave her at home. Now, I'm assuming the best of this father, like maybe he was like, I have to go 
and buy some stuff for you. I hope he's not like, I'm not drunk enough. I need to go buy some more beer. We don't know exactly why he left. Sasha doesn't know why he left. But this one particular night, he goes, hey, honey, I'm going to leave you here. You're going to be here all alone in this dark house. But I'll be right back. But I want to make sure that you're safe, so just go to sleep. Just go to a bedroom and go sleep. I don't want you wandering around the dark apartment. I will be right back. And Sasha goes, okay, I'll see you later, Dad. And Sasha crawls into bed. Now, she does leave her bedroom door open, so there is light coming in from the lit... <laughs> She's like, see you later, kiddo. I want to go winning some money. It's my lucky night. I'm going to the... Go to the gambling palace, but I'll leave all these lit candles to my seven-year-old daughter at home. Their candles were still lit, but she wasn't allowed to be near them, so she was laying in bed in her bedroom trying to fall asleep. And one thing she always does, which is something every kid would do, right, is before you go to bed, close the closet door. In Sasha's room, her closet door is open, and as she's laying there, she goes, Damn it. I always close the closet door before I go to bed, but I forgot to this time. And now I'm the only person in this house. My room is barely illuminated by the candles coming from within the kitchen. And the closet door is open, and I don't want to sleep with my closet door open. It's just spooky. But I also don't want to get up out of bed. Because you're scared. You're alone. You're a child and you're alone in a dark house. And she's staring at that open closet door. And something doesn't feel right. Something more than fear. It's this unshakable feeling that something's off. Something's not working by the laws of reality. Something beyond just being a little frightened. It's an awareness that something that's not supposed to be possible is about to happen. She's staring into the darkness of the closet. And she watches a hand reach out. Something in the darkness is moving. And this hand reaches out of the darkness and then she sees a second hand reach out. And then a third. A fourth. A fifth. These arms all stretched out like they're trying to reach out of the endless darkness of the closet. Finally, a sixth hand reaches out. It's grasping at empty air. And then she saw the faces. Ten separate Humanoid faces began to stare out of the darkness, looking straight at Sasha. 
as these hands continue to move and grab, fingers outstretched, closed fists, this chaotic tumbling of activity from within this pitch-black closet, the faces looked out and stared at her. Seven years old, and you're seeing this, you're home alone. There's no light in your room. There's no light really anywhere except for the dim light of the candles. And to get out of your room, you'd have to walk past that closet. So Sasha said, she goes, I curled up in my bed as far away as I could get from it. She's in the fetal position, pressed against the wall, trying to minimize her presence, hoping it won't notice her, but obviously it does. It's there for her. And she curls up in this protective position, and she just sits there silently waiting for her father to come home. And it doesn't say how long he was gone. It's kind of a moot point. It doesn't matter if it's five minutes and there's a ghost in your closet or three hours. It would feel like three hours. She hears her dad pull up. And she then... The the, the entity did not disappear. It was still moving. It, was still, it wasn't leaving. It never came out of the closet. But she could see the hands reaching out. She could see the faces looking out. It never got any closer than where it was. It was still in that closet. But when the her father's car pulled up, she jumped out of bed. She ran out of the room and she wrapped her arms around her dad because she knew she was safe now. She knew that whatever was in this closet didn't get her. Or at least didn't get her that night. It's an interesting story. On one hand, what we're looking at here is a fairly basic ghost story or demon story, entity story, however you want to classify it. It's basically the story of a young kid seeing something that they can't explain. And even as adults, even us talking about it, we can't explain it either. Obviously, the skeptical answer would be that, oh, she was staring in the darkness for so long. Your your mind starts to play tricks on you. You begin to see things. That's this. That's an actual thing that can happen. And, you know, I could post you a Wikipedia link. I'll put it in, I will put it in the links. But that's the skeptical answer. It was just her imagination. I don't think that really works with her because she lived in the darkness. She grew up. She spent so much of her life living in dark rooms. So if she was like, yeah, you know, everything was great. And then Hurricane Katrina came and knocked out the power. and then. I was looking in the closet. I saw a bunch of hands and faces. I'd be like, listen, kid, you had quite the traumatic past weekend. There's no electricity here. You're going to imagine stuff. But if you spent a good chunk of your childhood with the lights being turned off with no electricity, you'd probably be used to staring into the darkness. Now, normally she had her closet closed, but the fact that the closet door was open doesn't make it extra dark. But, you know, a typical ghost story, what I think elevates this story, and it really it popped up to me at the last moment. Originally, this closet story was combined with another closet story we'll save for a future episode. Because I was going to compare and contrast the two. But as I was going over my notes, I mean, literally right before I started recording this, I thought about this. 
she's in an apartment, money's tight, there's no electricity, and you have this entity showing up. Something clicked in my head, and I have an, a hypothesis, or a question, really, and then a hypothesis. Is there a connection between having a troubled childhood and having the ability to see or experience the paranormal? Because just like when I was reading over this story, I haven't done a ton of research into this. I literally thought about this 50 minutes ago. And I don't know if I have the ability to do this type of research, to collate all this stuff, but I could be wrong, but most of our stories that we've covered on the show, I shouldn't say most, but a good chunk of the stories we've covered on the show, we will start to see. And I'm going to start looking at this going forward. Not ideal childhoods. Whether or not the experience is happening as an adult or as a child, we often come across stuff like single parents. We often come across stuff where money's tight. Here's a good example. I just remembered this, the one we did recently, about the woman. Well, she's a woman now, but as the kid, she lived on a farm with her family, and the first thing in that narrative was money was tight, Everyone in the family had to work. It was a family of five. The kids were helping out at this orange and nut orchard. And she bought a horse and the horse ended up getting strangled by some mysterious force. And there was like a cowboy ghost shows up. You're like, what? That episode sounds bonkers. I'll put it in the show notes. I'm super curious to find out how many people who grew up in upper middle class or upper class families... How often do they experience the paranormal? I can't think of a story off the top of my head where they're like, yeah, I had a really good childhood. My family was extremely wealthy. And it involved even something as mundane as a ghost. Now, there's a bit of... There's a bit of self-reporting bias there. People don't like to say that they're wealthy or that they had an easy childhood. People will often play down the good aspects of their childhood. Like, oh yeah, we had four cabins and we lived in one and, you know, we we had one for each season and da-da-da-da-da, we had a rich... Usually they'll be like, yeah, I used to, you know, have these hard times and stuff like that. People don't like to play up their wealth. So they could be leaving that out of stories. But I have a story coming up pretty soon about a family who had a vacation rental that's haunted. And you go, well, Jason, there goes your theory. It's a piece of junk. It's basically like this rotted old structure. And the guy's like, I don't know why my parents brought us here every year. It was gross. It was like the grossest place possible. And when I describe it in that story, you'll be like, this is kind of inhumane to bring these kids here. Now, I can imagine if you wanted to have a vacation rental, but you didn't have a ton of money. If you wanted to own a piece of property out by a lake, you would buy the bummiest piece. <laughs> I basically a haunted shack. But I'm, I mean, again, it's just something that popped in my head. I, I, when I read this, I thought about all the other stories we've covered where the people involved in it do not have ideal childhoods. And even sometimes they'll be an adult. They'll say, you know, I, I'm in my house, it's haunted now. And then they'll be like, this wasn't the first time I've ever seen a ghost. I grew up in a really rough household. Again, these are all just popping off the top of my head. The story about the family at the apartment and the drunk dad was threatening to shoot people, and then the cops came, and then after the dad left, these two 
tall, shadowy figures left the apartment as well. And the idea was that he was possessed or these figures were inspiring him to kill his family. Because when he returned from the drunk tank, the dad, everything was fine. He never became violent like that again. So is what is the mechanism there? First off, is this a viable hypothesis? Like, I'm just going off of memory of certain stories. You guys may remember. Sometimes we have no economic factors, right? Man and a woman driving down the middle of the road, UFO shows up. That story rarely states how much money they have in their bank account. But I think just statistically, we can go middle class. Middle class. A lot of these stories involve middle class. A group of hunters, right? When I did that story about Argentina, a group of hunters, I imagined guys with, you know, not super expensive rifles, but pretty nice rifles. And they're driving in this car, right? <laughs> My standards, you're like, wow, a car. I don't own a car. I don't own a gun. So I'm like, wow, <laughs> Richie Rich and his friends. No, I assumed they were all middle class. I assumed for where they lived, Coochie Corral, these guys are all not super well off, not super poor. And I wonder if there is a weird cutoff. And I'm not saying that the ghosts look at people's bank, <laughs> look at their tax returns and go, I'm going to haunt them. I don't know what the exact mechanism is. The easiest way to say is like, listen, if you're growing up in a household with, you have issues, there's issues in the household like alcoholism, substance abuse, poverty, domestic violence, just general strife, right? It doesn't have to be that your parents are so drunk that demons are showing up to get you, get them to kill you. It could just be, there's a bit of a drinking problem, not a hardcore alcoholism. Substance abuse, it doesn't have to be, oh, they're a hardcore trank addict. Every time dad hugged me, his arms would fall off. It doesn't have to be that. It's just like sometimes dad would be more worried about where his pill bottles were than how I did in school. It doesn't have to be the worst case scenario. But I think just looking at that, there probably is a higher interaction between people who grow up in chaotic or semi-chaotic households in the paranormal. And that would totally make sense for what we know about demonic forces. They tend to prey on people who are at crossroads, not literal crossroads, that's when you're selling your soul to the devil, but when things are not going right in your life, that is when these entities feel that you are at your weakest, so they will come into your life. That's like basically just religious theory that's not anything novel i'm talking about a, a step up from that or a couple steps up from that where family life is okay but it's a struggle parents aren't alcoholics they're not pill poppers no one's hitting each other but it's a struggle and that's how i would classify this story right not having electricity that's 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 the struggle your family everyone in your family has to work that's a struggle I'm super curious as to, I almost feel like if I had more time, this is something that I think someone could do like a thesis on. You could just start going through these accounts and you would have the ones that don't list their economic factors. You could assume they're middle class or you can dismiss them. But I, my hypothesis is if you get enough of these accounts and there's been enough on this show and you look at the ones where, economic factors are mentioned, they will always be lower middle class, low class. 
why is that the case? I'm super curious. And again, this just popped in my head 50 minutes ago. I still kind of have to process this a bit. This ending might be kind of rambling and I'll wrap it up because I know it's a little rambly. But why? We can say it's because demons show up when your life is more chaotic. But not all these things are demons. Like, I don't think this particular thing was demonic. So it's not just demons. It's also just paranormal in general. I would guess. I don't know. Maybe rich people do see more ghosts. I don't know. I don't know. It could it be expanded to alien encounters. Where is the line drawn? I don't know, but I think it's an interesting question. This story really sparked that for me, and I will be something I look forward, look at going forward. Is there a connection between having less than ideal childhood experiences? And and I I guess I could broaden it out too. You may have an okay childhood and have a terrible adult experience, right? But you're still in this chaotic mess. Well, now I'm just making it even more weird. I think I don't think scientists can keep adding on to the hypothesis until it just becomes a giant paragraph. But is there a connection between your... This is a way to sum it up. Is there a connection between your economic status and your ability to perceive the paranormal? That's really it in a nutshell. I kept honing in on the childhood, I think, because I had just read the story and it was about a kid. Is there is there a connection between the two? And I think a lot of times, obviously, if people are in a middle-class childhood, they're going to have a middle-class life. Maybe upper middle class, right? But is there a connection between your economic status and your ability to perceive the paranormal? The paranormal is there whether or not you see it. It'll be in a rich person's house as much as it'll be in a poor person's house. But is there some sort of mechanism... There's some sort of experience that people who go through who have a different economic status. I don't know. I mean, again, I just came up with it. I, here's the thing. I do feel something is there. I have no idea what it is. I don't know why. I have no answers to that. And if if it there is something there, that is the big question. Why? Why would this be a thing? Maybe it's just... You know, maybe it's my just brain working and it's the heat. The heat the heat has finally cooked my brain. It's super weird. I I just I just have that I have a feeling that there is a connection. I don't know why. And we'll see if I'm gonna start actually looking for this in stories and uh seeing if we can start to try because there's no way I'm going there's no way I'm going back over the past one thousand one hundred and what is this, twenty three episodes. To figure that out. But going forward, I'm wondering if we can chart that. And what I'm going to do, this is what I like to do. I look for the outliers. I'm also going to try to find more ghost stories and paranormal stories that involve rich people or wealthy estates. Other than like a ghost walking around a castle in Scotland. Like, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about like, is the Hamptons haunted? Is Martha's Vineyard haunted? And are only rich people seeing the ghosts? The, the, see, listen, I said that and I laughed and I go, I guarantee you, if I looked up, is Martha Vineyard's haunted or someplace like that, I'll find a restaurant and all the reports will be from the staff. I can almost guarantee that. I, I'm super fascinated about this. This topic is going to be in my head for quite a while and I'm glad I was able to share it with you guys. I hope you guys find it interesting too. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. TikTok is at DeadRabbitRadio. 
Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day. I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys.